Well, good morning, everyone. Once again, thanks for being here. We're in chapters 23, 4, and 5. And I suppose there's no section of Scripture, at least in my mind, that is really more significant than others because all Scripture is God-breathed. And so we don't say that when God is breathing, part of his breath is more important than another part. But I do believe that there are certain sections of Scripture that impact us more significantly. Now, whether that's correct or not, God needs to judge that. And we're in a section of Scripture that is probably at least to the natural mind, the most sobering, the most worrisome, the most fearsome, and the most joyful scriptural passage. As Jesus is now answering the question of when will Jerusalem and the temple be destroyed? And what is the sign of your return or your coming and the end of the age? And as I've said before, we are traveling through this, trying not to take a position either that there is not a rapture and there is no real tribulation as the seven-year period, et cetera, et cetera, and the church is taken out over against the other side of the position, which says there's not a real thousand-year reign that's a uh, terminology that is used spiritually speaking. Satan will not be bound. There will not be a kingdom here on a thousand years, and Jesus will return, and then there will be a great war, etc. What I'm trying to do is take a middle ground. Now, that means this, that I see, at least as far as I am concerned, I see evidence on both sides, and I hope you don't mind my saying that. And so, the significance of all of this is this, and we said this before. Jesus' purpose is not to date his return, but to what? State his return. And so, as we discuss these things, and as there have been Bible studies in this church uh, in the study of Daniel and other areas, and there have been studies of, you know, the return of the Lord and this apocalyptic time, this end time, etc. and what are the signs? And that's great. But as we do all of this, we must keep in mind that whatever we are understanding of the Bible's teaching, that teaching by God given to us is not for the purpose of separating people in the church in one camp or another camp. If that is happening, then we are missing the point of the Word of God. The Word of God is given to us to bring us into a fellowshipping unity with Him and maintaining in the church that unity through the love of the brethren for one another. Amen? And so in the church, we are manifesting the unity of the three persons of the Godhead such that the three are in such unity that God is one in his being. And anything that 
comes against that and begins to undermine that is not the Holy Spirit. It's the flesh. So just another warning again, and I don't know whether I need to give this or not, but I know how Satan is about loving to get in and creating debates and uh, arguments and all that and taking sides. So don't anybody come up to me and say, which side are you on? You're not going to hear my side. Well, why don't you tell? Because I don't know whether there's enough definitive proof, absolutely so, on one or the other. But here's what we say with absolute certainty. The one who came the first time, the first advent, is coming back. And we all need, as we'll find out, to be vigilant, ready, and about his work. So when he returns, he finds a faithful church. Isn't that what's really going on? So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for continuing to minister to us. We ask you just to continue this work of your anointing of the words that you will speak through me and the anointing of the ears, even mine, who will hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're picking up again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. So if you have your Bibles, if you open it to that. Verse 22, and in those days, and if those days had not been cut short. Now, what days is he talking about? He's talking about the days preceding his return, preceding his return. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, just a comment about that. The impetus, the significance, the purpose of God in all of this is for only one group of people. All of this is for and about His people. Amen? We are the central focus of God in these events. So let's remember that. For the sake of the elect... What is going to happen is for our sake. What is happening is for our sake. What will result is for our sake because we're the people of God. And so this is what God is. He is working in the world since the beginning of the fall of Adam and Eve for our sakes, for the sake of his people. Amen? Now, the length of this extended period of tribulation now, remember what we said. There's the inter-advent period. That's the period beginning with the resurrection of Jesus to the return of Jesus. The first advent is when Jesus is born and lives and dies. The second advent is when he returns with the clouds of glory, correct? We are in that long extended period called the inter-advent period. And so if this period were not shortened, some kind of way, his people would all be destroyed. Now, or so many of them, whatever. And so what has happened is that the length of this extended period, and we have to remember again, the length of the period and the timing of the Lord is not according to natural events. It is according to God's will. Amen? 
which he declares through natural events. So we always have to be careful. Ah, look at that. That event means this, this, and this. Well, maybe, maybe so, maybe not. It is God who decrees this. So we need to be aware of signs and events. But we don't want to hang our hats on signs and events. Amen? And so if the length, of this, the length of this extended period of tribulation is determined by the Lord, who will not allow all of his people to be martyred. Verses 23 to 26. Then if anyone says to you during this period of time, remember what we're talking about, this period of extended tribulation, extended trouble. And by the way, this extended period of time, however long it's going to be, 2,000 years, 3,000 years, another day, we don't know. During this period of time, there is a crescendoing, increasing increase in tribulation and distress. And so if anyone says during this extended period of time, look, Here is the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, so that if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, don't go out there. And if they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. So there will be many, many who will teach a false gospel a false presentation of the Word of God as evidence that Jesus is coming back. And for instance, Jehovah's Witnesses, you remember, years ago said he was coming back in 19, I think it was 14, and they missed that and they redated whatever. There is a fallacy here. We are not called to be dating the return of the Lord, and I'll show you that in a moment. Now that Jesus has described or as he has outlined the events of this inter-advent period, remember, he's given us an outline. Remember several chapters, I'm sorry, several verses ago, he gave us nine events. Nine events that not only will occur before his first advent ends, I'm sorry, before the 70 AD ends, comes to that, but they also are descriptive generally of the kinds of events that will be associated and active during the inter-advent period. So he's described and outlined the events of this inner Advent period. Remember, that was verses 21 and 22. He issues another warning. He's already issued warnings before, and he says another warning against being deceived by false claims. Let's remember that the false teachings can produce deceptions if not corrected. We have to be very careful what is being taught out there, and we have to be very careful where we are receiving feeding. There are too many supposed biblical teachers who are teaching a gospel that is not adhering strictly to the truth of the Word of God. There are too many suppositions out there. Do you understand what I mean by that? Jesus said this and this, therefore these. Now, sometimes that can happen if you connect it biblically and show that there is therefore these. But we have to be careful. The word would be, please discern what you're listening to and discern it only one way by the word of God because deception can destroy. How do I know that? Genesis chapter 3 shows us that the deception of the enemy, the twisting of the word, just a little bit, just a little bit, cause 
great destruction in the world. Just a little bit. We have to be careful. Our only protection from being deceived by false teachings and teachers is our knowledge and understanding of the living Word of God as applied by the Holy Spirit. And there again we say, be people of the Word. Raise your family in the Word. Make the Word a priority. Make it a priority in your life and in your family. In fact, it is more of a priority, and it should be more of a priority, than the work that you do and the schools that you send your children to. Because that which goes into heaven forever is according to what the Word of God accomplishes in our lives. Amen? This is where the kingdom resides, in the Word of God. As the day of Christ's return approaches, there's going to be an increase in false teachings, false gospels. And I think we see that. There are all kinds of teachings out there in the name of Jesus, which are not biblical, which are biblical in some sense, but have enough of a change or a twist or a what alteration to the truth that it can mislead you completely. We talked a little bit about that not too long ago. But remember, it was the false teaching, the taking of the Word of God by the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests. And adding to the Word of God something about and for man and putting man into the center of the Word of God rather than God being remaining in the center. And in that, Jesus' great woes against these men were, you have taken, taken the living truth of God and you have turned it into a lie. We have to be careful. False teachings. Verse 27, for the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 27, what is the only true sign of Jesus' return? Verse 27, you see it? If you want to know the real sign, the only absolute sign that we can all say, that is it. That's it. We can all agree upon. It's verse what? 27. What's going to happen? We're going to be moving along in life. and How many of you have ever seen lightning and were prepared for it before it hit, but were surprised about it when it came? Like that. We had a little storm last night, and every time it lightnings, my wife cringes, and she makes noises. And oh, ah, yeah. And I said, if you are able to function after that light, you didn't get hit. <laughs> you didn't get hit. Well, how do I know? You know, how, how do I know? Because when the lightning comes, if you're hit, you're going to know it. It's going to be such a flash that you can't even blink that fast. Jesus said, that's how it's going to be when I return. It's going to be lightning in the sky. Are we ready even this morning before I say the next word that the lightning of the Son of God could appear in the sky? Are we ready? It could appear at any moment. Are we ready? Wherever the corpse is, there are the vultures will gather. And when Jesus returns, all the nations... We're going to be watching and seeing. This is going to be a lightning that everybody sees. 
and everybody's going to be drawn to this light. Verse 29, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, remember this extended period of time, at the end of this time, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall away from heaven. Stop. Now, some take this, and I'm not saying it can or cannot be. I'm just telling you what some do. Take this as literal. Literally what? The sun will be what? Darken. The moon will what? Say it again. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Won't shine? Yeah, because if the sun's dark and the moon won't shine. I don't know whether those people in those days understood that the moon was reflecting the sun, but that's an interesting comment, isn't it? And what else will happen about the stars? They're going to fall. Now, some take that literally. Okay, fine. I take it literally also. Could it be a literal cosmological event? Yes. But it also, look at the next statement. Because what Jesus says here about the sun, the moon, and the stars, refusing to sun or inability to shine, losing its light, and falling. Look at the next statement. What does the next statement say? And the powers of what? The heavens will be shaken. Now, what does that mean biblically? See, what we want to do, we want to look at these things scientifically. Oh, you see, that's crazy, this and that. We, we want to see it biblically. We want to see it within the context of what those people understood. And Jesus is speaking from and preaching from and teaching from a biblical perspective. So what does it mean about the powers of the heavens will be shaken? see, Jesus has now answered the first question about when the destruction. And now, beginning in this verse, he begins to answer the second question about the sign of his return in the end of the age. So, when will he return? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, right? When is he coming back? After the extended period of tribulation. That we know. We can be assured of that. That great period of inter-advent tribulation. So he describes this great apocalyptic. What does apocalyptic mean? The appearing, the revelation of, the apocalyptic. He describes these events in biblical terminology. So did you just hear what I read? The sun will be darkened, the moon loses light, and the stars will fall. You heard that. Let's read what we hear in Isaiah. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark as it's rising and the moon will not shed its light. Therefore, I will make that's the Lord. I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce vengeance. Now, do you Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is taking a prophecy that he, before his incarnation, he gave to Isaiah. And now he's telling these people what is going to happen. And it's in keeping what the prophecies of the Old Testament have always said. 
he is restating this prophecy. His return will cause the overthrow of the old natural cosmos. Correct? Do we see it? That's what's happening. It's not how many stars, what will happen when the sun goes out, and, what, and you know, the moon and all that. It's really not about that essentially. Now, don't say I said it's not about that at all. Essentially. The primary emphasis of Jesus is this. When I return, the old cosmos, the old creation will come to an end. Do you see that? And part of that old creation that comes to an end is not only the natural creation, but the demonic powers and principalities that have ruled in the old creation since the fall of Adam and Eve. The demonic powers. I ask you to make sure you see that last phrase at the end of the sentence. What does it say? And the powers of heaven. What do you mean the powers of heaven? That's God. Well, let's see. The probability is that the sun and the moon and the stars followed by and the powers of the heavens will be shaken has a reference to the demonic realm. That's a reference to the demonic realm. Listen to this from Ephesians. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And so when it says in the heavens, it doesn't necessarily always mean God's area, if you would. It means that great spiritual conflict, which is occurring as the demonic activity in the spiritual realm called the heavenlies, is opposing constantly and malevolently the purposes of God on earth in his people, right? And I believe more specifically, more primarily, if you would, the emphasis of the Lord Jesus is not here to a physical sun, a physical moon, or physical stars, although there could be reference and there could be that. I'm not going to argue against it. But I think the better area of concentration and significance and burden of Jesus' words is this. When, I'm come, when I come back, this old world is going to be shaken, and not only is this physical universe going to be shaken, but I'm also going to shake the demonic tree, right? I'm going to do a whole lot of shaking when Jesus comes back. Some of you older people will know what I'm referring to. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Some of you will remember that, and the rest of you are saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. How many of you remember that? I'm not going to tell you who it is, but Anna Chatelaine can explain the whole thing. Because during that time, I think I heard that she was doing the dancing. Do, do we see this? We have to be careful. If we Place the emphasis, I didn't say other issues, but the emphasis in the wrong place, then we're looking at God's work from the wrong perspective. The return of Jesus is about one thing, to put a final end. He put, it to, he put the old cosmos 
to uh, he put it at how do I say this? He put it to an end is what I'm trying to say, Steve. Thank you. He put it to an end at the cross. That's when he put it to an end. The cosmos came to an end at the cross. The demonic powers ceased their ability. Where? At the cross. Isn't that right? At the cross. It is finished. At the cross. But is now manifested in its glory and of its essence and of its finality in his return. Can you say amen? You see, today we're not battling for the victory of anything. We're battling in the victory of Jesus Christ over demonic powers and this old world system. Amen? The death of the old system and the demonic powers occurred at the cross. And God applies it in its full fruition when Jesus returns. That's what he's talking about here. He says, when I come back, what I did at the cross will be wrapped up and declared fully. Amen? That's what's happening. That's what he's talking about. His emphasis is not this nation and that nation and this event and this guy and this guy there. His emphasis is everything that was under the curse will be put away forever. And my people will be saved alive forevermore because I became the curse for them. Who said that? For Jesus has become the curse for us. For it's written, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Somebody tell me somebody who said that. Say it again. Peter, Peter who? The Peter. Just look it up. Jesus became the curse. And in him we have had the curse reverse forever. Can you say amen? That's right. That's right. That's the emphasis here. This is the purpose of our living and the, the ground and the power of our living. At Jesus' return, Satan's rule and kingdom will be cr- come crashing down forever. Don't you love it when I can't turn a page? Verse 30. Then, then what? When you see the lightning. Did you remember verse 27? You weren't ready for that? (laughs) You see how fast Jesus is? (laughs) He's fast. Verse 27, the lightning. Okay, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. What's the sign of it coming? What's the sign of it coming? The appearing of the Son of Man. And then, when, you got it? Verse 27, then, keep it in context. All the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I'm going to go through this a little bit. Not only will the power of the heavens be shaken, but also all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming. What tribes? What tribes? Well, your, how many of your Bibles said the peoples or the nations instead of tribes? 
So some of your Bibles say the peoples of the nations. The word in the Greek is tribe. And it's the word that is used for the tribes of Israel. It's specifically a word that has more reference to the people of God, the Israelites, God's people, God's covenant people under the Old, Test, uh, under the Old Covenant. So who are these tribes? Zechariah 12, 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. Now, some people take this, well, that means that the church, whatever, and, the, you know, Israel has become the church and so on, and that's a whole other discussion for another day. No, I believe it's Israel he's talking about because it was the Jewish people that pierced Jesus. When was this piercing? When did this piercing happen? When did they pierce him, James? At the cross, he was pierced for our transgressions. Remember in Isaiah 53. So this is talking about the Jewish people. When Jesus returns some kind of way, and only God can accomplish this, obviously, they shall mourn over the fact that they had rejected their Messiah who was crucified for their sin as prophesied in the Scriptures. And I believe, and it's stated in other places, many, many, many Jewish people who had previously said, are you kidding? We don't believe in any Messiah. will have a revelation of who this one is. And in an instant, in a flash, God will save many Jewish people. Is he finished with, Jews, with the Jews? I don't think so. I don't think so. I could be wrong. I'm not going to state my eternal salvation on that. But I don't think he is. I think this shows that God's mercy is still for his Jewish people. How is that going to happen? And how can it happen if, you know, they don't? God does this what? How quickly? Are all of you saved in here? Any unsaved people? How quickly were we saved? How quickly? Say it again, James. Let me do it. In the twinkling of an eye, when were we saved? When were we saved? Ephesians 1, 4. In God's economy and purpose and decree before the foundation of the world, when was it sealed in a time frame? John nineteen thirty. It is finished. It's done. God saves his people. And when was it applied to us? The day you came into Christ. A day ago, a year ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever years ago. Amen? How quick was it? Faster than that. It was faster than that. So if God can save us in the twinkling of an eye, can he save his own people, the Jews, in the twinkling of an eye? Yes, of course he can. Notice it does say that the Son of Man is coming on the clouds, and Mark says, with the clouds of heaven. What does that mean, the clouds of heaven? How many of you know what Hebrews 12, 1 says? Therefore, since we are what? Since we are what? It doesn't say great clouds. It says, since what? In the beginning of the verse. Somebody read the beginning. Since we are what? 
encompassed or surrounded by, you see, I don't want half the verse. It doesn't make any sense. Since we are what? Encompassed or surrounded by what? Such a great cloud of witness. What cloud of witness, uh, Karen? Chapter 11. Remember the people of faith. Do, Do you remember that? He's just given all these people of faith. And then the writer says, since we're compassed around or gathered around, and we're in the midst of this cloud of witnesses. What is this cloud that Jesus is coming back? Cumulus clouds? No. It's the cloud of those who have died in Christ and who are returning with the Savior all including Jesus, wearing the white robes of righteousness. And when those white robes of righteousness gather together with Jesus returning and the sun hits it, it's going to look like the strangest but the largest cloud that everybody ever did see on earth. This is the cloud. We may be with him on that day or we may be here on that day. Does it really matter? What matters is we will be with him. Well, I hope I'm with I don't want to. What matters is that we will be with him. This is the clouds. An interesting study is that you would take the Old Testament references to clouds because very often Yahweh, who is Yahweh? The Lord. Yahweh, the God of Israel, appears to his people in clouds, right? In clouds. Exodus 13, 2. And the Lord went, you remember this? The people had been delivered out of the uh, Pharaoh's hands and they've gone all the way to the sea. And there it is. They're at the sea and the mountains over there and Pharaoh behind them and they're hemmed in. And it looks like their day is over. Don't ever think that our day is over no matter what the natural circumstances say. You're at the lake or whatever it is, the sea. We can't go across there. We're over there, the mountains. We can't cross them. And there's whatever thousands of chariots coming against us. You see the demonic forces. We're going to die. But God. And what does he do? He sends his great cloud. Literally, God stands with his people against the obstacles. Amen? He literally stands there. God is in the cloud and in the fire. This is a manifestation of God himself in the cloud and in the fire. So even though these signs will occur when Jesus returns, the sign of his return will be when they see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. Amen. By the way, another cloud. Remember when Solomon had completed the temple and he prayed, what happened? The temple was filled with the Shekinah. Remember in Exodus 40 when the tabernacle was finished, what happened? The cloud filled the tabernacle. The presence of God in clouds. Jesus says, I'm coming back in the cloud. But this won't be just a cloudy day or the same kind of cloud that occurred in the Old Testament. This will be, that cloud symbolized the cloud of my people. 
the gathering of my people together. That's the cloud. Verse 31, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the hev uh, heaven to the other. Jesus' return will also be accompanied by a loud trumpet. The lightning of the Son of God. The tribes will see him and mourn. He will be a cloud coming day, and there will be a blast from heaven as a blast the earth has never heard before. The trumpet call. In the Old Testament, the trumpet, the shofar and the trumpets, two different blasts, and the trumpet call very often called the people into action, called the people into readiness, warned the people. Exodus 19, 16, on the morning of the third day, the Lord is telling Moses how to get the people prepared for his appearing on the mountain of Horeb before he gives the Ten Commandments. That's what this verse is referring to. On the morning of the third day, when thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, see, the trumpet announced the appearance of the Lord. When they hear, they know God is with them. It's the announcing of the king with his people. Joshua 6, 5, you may remember this. And when they made a loud blast with a ram's horn, where are they right now? They have circled the city of Jericho. Remember that? One day, one circle for six days, and on the seventh day, what? Seven times around. And he says, once you do that, blow the horn and shout, and with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, will fall down on itself, will collapse on itself. Isaiah 27, 13, in that day a great trumpet will sound. Those who are perishing in Assyria and those who are exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain of Jerusalem. God's people will be gathered who are on the earth will be gathered all together wherever they are into the presence of God. Zechariah 9, 14, then the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like a lightning. You see, the lightning. And the Lord God, Yahweh God, will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. And we shall all be changed. Paul is talking about the effect of the resurrection and the return of the Lord in chapter 15 of, of, of 1 Corinthians. We shall all be changed. We shall what? All be changed. How fast? Faster than that. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound and the dead will rise imperishable and we shall be changed. Some of us or some, many people of God will still be here when that happens. Many will be coming in the clouds. I ask again, does it matter which one we are? Does it? No. What matters is what? We're going to be with him. Revelation 4.1, and after this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So what is our encouragement this morning? He who came the first time for sin as a humble servant of God will return the triumphant King of kings and Lord of lords for those for whom he has died. Amen.
And next week we'll continue with this word in Matthew.